Good evening from Frankfurt. My name is Thomas Steininger. I welcome you to the global edition of Radio Evolve, our bi-weekly global webcast. I'm very happy to have this week uh, as our guest, uh, Dr. Otto Sharma. Uh, Dr. Otto Sharma is a senior lecturer of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and the founding chair of the Presencing Institute. Sharma introduced the concept of presencing, learning from the emerging future, and his best-selling books, Theory You and Presencing, are known worldwide. His new book, The Essentials Theory of uh, Theory, Essentials of Theory You, is coming out uh, this year, uh, 2018, or came already out. We used the chance to talk to you, Otto, to really take advantage that you are one of the persons who has a global reach and tries to analyze from a consciousness point of view, from a political point of view, from a social point of view, what is the global crisis that we are in right now? And I know this is a kind of a overarching huge question to ask, but I really would like to dive into the question, what is the nature of the crisis that we're experiencing, not only in the US, not only in Europe, but on a global scale right now? From your point of view, what is the source of what's going on on a global scale? Well, uh, Thomas, um, so first off, uh, thanks for having me uh, on your uh, broadcast. And um, so that's, of course, um, a big question. And I'm sure kind of uh, uh, before the end of this 45-minute broadcast, we will have solved all these issues, right? So, um, um, no, uh, honestly, so the um, – I, I think – uh, a first level to, to respond to your question is we collectively create results that nobody wants. Kind of that's kind of the nature of the crisis. And that's that statement or that condition is true for most larger systems today. So what are uh, examples of systems of that, symptoms of that? So the uh, ecological divide would be one example. So we operate an economy that is um, using resources in the amount of 1.7 planets. So we have one planet, we use um, 1.7 time resources in the amount of 1.7 time the regeneration capacity of planet Earth. Um, we have, um, we organize society. I mean, we made progress. Uh, on many levels, it's also kind of not all going downhill. Kind of, there is like particularly on a material aspect, and um, so there is um, a lot of progress uh, also made over the past uh, decades and centuries, obviously. But we also live in a, in a social condition when you look at the uh, deepening social divide, where um, basically uh, the societies are falling apart where the old glue that used to keep societies together no longer works. And um, where in the age of Trump, we see the rise of architectures of separation, right? In silos and egos and uh, haves and versus have-nots and so forth that um, at a scale that we haven't seen before. And then there is the spiritual divide, right, which is not a disconnect between self and nature or self and other, but it's uh, the disconnect between self and self, between who I am, 
today and who I could be tomorrow. So my small S self versus my capital S self. And um, there are many symptoms, you know, there are, you know, many um, numbers there as, as well. But, you know, one, one is um, that in the U.S., um, one out of four boys and one out of three teenage girls, teenage boys and teenage girls, show um, symptoms of uh, anxiety disorder and depression. So that's really a shocking number. And, and those are really massive forces that keep uh, our kids, our young people, uh, our youth, uh, frozen into the current self and make it even more difficult to step into your highest future possibility of your, your, your emerging self. So those are the ecological, the social, the political the spiritual aspects, um, those are like, um, I would say, uh, important aspects of our crisis. But uh, the general um, denominator, you could almost say, is uh, mm-hmm. that um, we collectively create um, results that nobody wants. And um, that's where systems thinking starts, because so systems thinking says, okay, if those are the symptoms what is the deeper structure? So systems thinking is, you know, it's like um, um, it starts with the distinction between symptoms and root causes, right? So it's like uh, the iceberg metaphor, right? So there's one-tenth of the iceberg is visible to the eye, but the other nine-tenths also matter because uh, it's um, those are the levels that, drive the behavior of what's visible to the eye. And if we want to understand the whole system, we need to understand the deeper layers of reality that aren't quite visible to the eye as of yet. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's where I would say we have seen an evolution. So I'm working here at MIT, um, you know, with a group, the System Dynamics and the Leadership Center and the Sustainability Group. And that's an outgrow of a group that some uh, 40, almost 50 years ago, uh, 45 to 50 years ago, um, created the first Club of Rome study, uh, the Limits to Growth study, right, that Mm -hmm. helped spark the global environmental movement. And um, so when you look at, uh, and that was the result of systems thinking, it was really the brainchild of Peter Senge's um, uh, thesis advisor, right? So mm-hmm. his, uh, his mentor, kind of Jay Forrester is his name, and he's the uh, founder of uh, uh, the system dynamics group at MIT. So uh, its study was his brainchild. And, and when you look at the, um, and then later kind of Peter uh, noticed kind of, okay, there's, we have the global environmental movement. There's all this awareness that there are all these smart PhD students that are, um, that are coming out of this um, uh, tradition, right? Out, out of this uh, research group at MIT. And what is their impact on the real world? Nothing, Right. So we know everything, but it's not happening, right? So this knowledge is not. Uh, so many people uh, read the book about limits to growth, but how does it impact our behavior? Very little. So it was that observation that set then Peter Senge on a path in the early 1990s to create the MIT Organization Learning Center, uh, you know, which organized around his book, his best-selling book that was just published uh, back then, 
uh, the fifth discipline, the art and practice of organizational learning. Mm -hmm. And that really tried to bring in another key capacity. You have systems thinking on the one hand, but then you have organizational learning practices on the other hand. And how can you bring these two things together? And how does that relate to the more personal aspect of change? So when I read that book as a student, right, so there was this concept of personal mastery. And so I was, of course, reading with, okay, if you want to, uh, because, you know, I as, a, as an individual, so I, I uh, woke up politically with the um, environmental movement in Europe, kind of uh, brocked off kind of one of the main battlefields of the anti-nuclear movement in the late 70s was just in front of the, um, uh, you know, organic farm that I, uh, uh, I grew up on. And then, uh, so it is, uh, it, it was, um, uh, it was that motivation of kind of being socialized in this context, like, like many of us in the uh, environmental and the peace movement in the seventies, eighties, uh, that brought me into studying economics um, and management uh, because I wanted to reinvent it, right? So that's why, that was the reason why I went into that because I realized I didn't want to fight against the symptoms of my life. I wanted to change the deeper societal system. And what is at the core of our current society today? It's business. So that's why I chose business and economics. Um, and, um, when I did my PhD, I realized, okay, um, I can say everything. Um, I know everything, you know, everything what's wrong and so on, but what's my positive impact? No, right. Very, very little kind of very, uh, very small. And that was really the reason why I came from Europe to here to uh, Boston to MIT mm-hmm. was I wanted to learn how to become an action researcher. I wanted to learn how to do research that is helpful, that is not only kind of um, uh, generating kind of abstract knowledge, but that is gener- generating knowledge that is helpful to people in the field, kind of who actually pioneer these new forms of collaboration that are necessary today. So that was moving into the stream of action research, which was founded by European Jews who came uh, over uh, in the 1930s uh, here to, to the East Coast and to, and to the U.S. Um, that was really my reason um, uh, uh, coming here. So I joined the Peter Senge group. And what happened there uh, and, uh, uh, for, for all these reasons and what has happened in the past two decades when I am um, when I look back uh, in this uh, organizational learning and change and systems change um, framework is that the original um, iceberg model or the original systems thinking, which is you have basically three layers. You have the symptoms and then you have structures and systems, structures and processes underneath. Then on the third level, the next deeper level, you have mental models, right? You have the patterns of thought that, you know, drive these uh, structures and, and systems. So basically going to the root issues means kind of uh, addressing these different mental models and ways of connecting with each other. And if I fast forward now, um, the next um, uh, 20 years, so what has happened in the past 20 years is that the systems thinking model, the basic model that I just described with the three layers of uh, symptoms, structures, and then um, mental models or thought, you could say, 
that there is uh, a fourth level emerging and has been spelled out over the past decade or two. And that fourth level has to do with uh, awareness or consciousness. So basically, awareness-based systems change means that you cannot... So let, let me summarize this approach with two sentences, really. The first sentence is the, really the essence of action research. And that is Kurt Lewin, who said, you cannot understand a system unless you change it. Right? So it's kind of the, the paradigm of action. You have to engage with reality. And that's really what brought me over from Europe here to Boston to, to learn how to do this. And the, so that's action research. You cannot understand a system unless you change it. You need to get involved as a researcher. It's not good enough just observing stuff. And the second sentence kind of uh, is, you cannot change a system unless you transform consciousness. Now, I think that's kind of the result of the past decade or so. Uh, and that's what uh, Peter Senge and myself and, and some others uh, begin to call awareness-based action research. And what it really means is that if you want to change a system, the core intervention point really is to transform consciousness. Mm -hmm. If I may come in here and uh, just ask you the, the way I understand what, you, what you're saying here right now. Uh, you, you started kind of explaining your understanding of system theory and system thinking. And you kind of also went a little bit through your own biography, how you started uh, also with the concept that basically uh, on the foundation of the system is economy. And you kind of expanded that uh, and to, to a point where so maybe it's not just economy, it's also mental structures. And you're coming right now, maybe it's also not just only mental structures, maybe it's also a question of awareness. So in this, I see somehow also a connection to what you started, how you described the uh, global crisis at, uh, as I stated in the beginning, uh, where you talked about the ecological crisis, the, cri the crisis of the society falling apart, which of course is also a, a crisis of the have and have nots. And what you brought in, in the end, uh, calling it a spiritual divide. So I was... Which is the individual falling apart. Which is the individual falling apart. And uh, I, I would say uh, uh, also us as collective uh, falling apart in uh, understanding who we are as a human race. And are you, are you saying that... Um, Basically, if we, if we try to understand what's going on um, worldwide, if we try to establish kind of a system thinking of how these different parts of reality connect and interplay with each other, that uh, we have to have an understanding how economy works. We have to have an understanding also how politics works, but we have to have an understanding basically how the human mind and our relationship to uh, our deepest being here on this planet really works to find answers of how we can create something like a new uh, civilization that is really created on something that uh, is sustainable and allows us to go beyond our ecological crisis. Yeah, you, you could say so. So I would, um, you know, uh, maybe just uh, specify that in, 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 uh, in a little way by saying, sure. So, I didn't mean to say kind of uh, it's only the economy today. I was just um, describing my own evolution, my own mm -hmm. thought process, right? And, it, and I think it's also true 
that really at the core of our um, current crisis is really um, the economy. So let's put it the other way. If you talk about social change, societal change, and you cannot transform the economy and business, you are just scratching the surface, right? Mm -hmm. so, so you're not really changing anything. And um, so that's, uh, I think that's just a condition we have in this century. And that's why if you really want to transform society, you need to transform business. And if you want to transform business, you need to transform how we think about the economy. And that's if kind I, of, the root of all, the root of many problems. And that's why I went into this uh, discipline. And I, mm -hmm. that's why I'm uh, teaching at a business group, because that's where all the bad ideas uh, tend to come from. Sorry if I, if I come in here. I just want to, uh, to ask you, when you say to transform business, very simply ask, transform from what to what? Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, transform from, uh, from ecosystem awareness to ecosystem awareness, mm -hmm. right? So with ecosystem awareness, I basically... That's basically the model that you learn in, in economics, the neoclassic model, homo economicus, kind of where uh, it's kind of rational and self-centered, right? And there is, um, um, uh, so it's not the actual behavior of people in reality, but that's kind of the, the model that analyzes a, a lot of the uh, thinking uh, uh, in economics. Yet, what we know is, even though kind of some, behavior can be explained that way that we know is is in reality people also sometimes behave very differently and so as an uh, more based on uh, ecosystem awareness that is more by, by which i mean an awareness that is focusing uh not on the well-being of a few but on the on the well-being of all mm -hmm. and um so what I would say as a social scientist is that all the laws and all the rules and all the patterns of behavior, um, they are not real laws uh, like we have in natural sciences, right? They only apply um, to the degree that th certain, uh, uh, certain uh, third variables are constant. And the most important variable uh, uh, among these third variables uh, are is consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. So when you make people aware, when you shift the consciousness, what tends to happen is that the type of behavior is also shifting. Mm -hmm. So what I'm interested uh, in as a social scientist is not how I can cement, find and cement kind of certain patterns that we find today, most of which are not very healthy, but how as a human species, we can evolve. We can evolve how we interact in our economies, in our, in our democratic, in our other cultural learning processes. And um, that's really uh, why, you know, uh, I think action research, which is that you participate yourself and change processes, is so important today. Mm -hmm. So um, back to your question, what is the, the, the real crisis of today? I would say the answer differs uh, depending on what level of the iceberg you respond to, whether you mm -hmm. respond. You could say it's the ecological crisis and this and that kind of on a symptoms level. You could talk about some of the deeper structural issues, right? The broken feedback loops that we have in our economic and political and social systems. You could, on the third level, you could uh, talk about 
you know, the, the mindset shifts that are necessary kind of, and, you know, the, the, the old paradigms, how we think about the economy and about politics and so forth. But then on, on, on the deepest level, I would say on the fourth level, it is really um, um, a question kind of how we can shift our, uh, our consciousness, our sense of uh, who we really are and um, who we want to be, kind of uh, who we are and um, our highest potential forward, uh, moving forward, kind of, and what, what, what's kind of the story of the future that we want to uh, be part of. So this kind of deepened self-knowledge on an individual level, but also on a collective level, that seems to me kind of really um, the most important leverage point and um, also the most important uh, uh, intervention point. So depending on where you um, uh, operate from, kind of you, you would answer, and obviously kind of in, uh, in my case, my answer would include all four of these levels, mm -hmm. but particularly focus on, on, on the yeah. last one. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I guess it's also the nature of system theory that uh, you just cannot pinpoint one part of the system as being the root of it. It, it has an interconnected reality that you have to understand uh, in its wholeness and also in its interconnection. But it is interesting that you are saying this consciousness uh, part, uh, you would describe as the most important leverage point and the most important intervention point. My question, why is this? And how can this look like that we uh, understand that this, this consciousness part that you were focusing on now several times really uh, seems to be the leverage point and the intervention point that we should focus on? Okay, so why is that the case? Um, The short answer is because that's what we have experienced in many experiments of social change. So mm -hmm. let me give you a, a recent example. So yesterday uh, we had like half a day at MIT at the Stone School of Management where we brought in um, the, uh, the uh, Betriebsrat. So, so the, uh, the, the, you know, there is uh, in Germany, we have this... Um, since the 1970s, this mm -hmm. thing called uh, Mitbestimmung, um, a co-determination. And that basically means that you change capitalism to some degree by giving uh, uh, or legislating that all bigger companies, half the board is elected from a workers' council, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the workers who have half the votes in, in, in the uh, supervisory council. And you also have like um, the, the, the Workers' Council has a number of other really powerful roles. In other words, uh, you know, you cannot, when you want to make decisions, right, as a manager in Germany, like in, in this case, it was a big German global company, um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, one of the biggest automotive companies, Daimler, the Daimler uh, Mercedes-Benz Group. And um, so when they want to make a decision like, uh, you know, uh, relocating or getting rid of some people or kind of making big investments here or there, they cannot do it without the worker council, right? Mm -hmm. so, so they need to, so you could say that's a useful way. What's the problem with capitalism? The problem of capitalism is externalities. Basically, we are wrecking the planet, right? Uh, and we are also wrecking kind of society. 
And why is that? Because we have an economic theory that is blind to all these externalities. Uh, that's how economists talk about environment, nature, people, culture, and so on and so forth, and the spirit, right? let alone the spirit. Mm -hmm. So um, all of these are externalities. So the, the uh, economic language, what's the problem then? Internalizing externalities, right? And that's, um, so what Germany did there with core determination is, is one interesting step into that direction, right? So, mm -hmm. which is, you give one stakeholder group the workers, you give them a lot more power so that kind of management has to basically partner with them if you want to get things done, right? Mm -hmm. Back then in the 1970s, entrepreneurs and business people thought that's the end of the world, right? Now everything is ending, right? Mm -hmm. Interestingly, today, Germany is one of the most successful economic uh, countries in the world. Mm -hmm. And what um, was thought to be like a major obstacle which is co-determination actually is part of the German success model. Kind of that's kind of what yesterday in this session at MIT was referred to as the German model, right? And what mm -hmm. can we learn from it and so on. Now, that's, so, so that's kind of the outside, the story from the outside, right? Now, if you go more deeper in, and that was basically if you unpack that story a little more, and that's what we did uh, in that session um, at um, uh, MIT yesterday, then, of course, you realize, well, just these structural changes actually don't do you any good um, if you are not really also change your mindset, kind of your consciousness, kind of if you're so these, um, you know, more these structures that require more collaboration between partners uh, and less hierarchy, they are only good and they are only helpful to the degree that you can develop trust and, and helpful kind of relationships uh, among the partners. Mm -hmm. If you have mistrust and if the old mindset of uh, I have to dominate everything is uh, prevailing, then the same structure is actually much more painful than the old hierarchical, uh, hierarchical structure, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of... Um, that was tested by exporting this kind of partnering model to other countries, kind of where they're kind of very different, uh, you know, our cultural and infrastructural uh, conditions. Mm -hmm. so that's, that's a concrete example where, uh, and I think uh, we have, uh, and each of the listener here in the loop, you will know your own example, kind of basically, uh, to put it generally, the more flat and the more fluid and the more agile your way of organizing, the more you depend on uh, people having a collaborative mindset, kind of people having an open mind and open heart uh, in order to move into some co-creative ways of thinking and talking and operating together. And if you have like an open, flexible and, and flat organization structure, but the mindset is still kind of silo-based, ego, ego, me, me, uh, not the we, then, of course, the, the, the same structure leads into a nightmare because you can't get anything done. And that's just uh, uh, one example of why the shift in mindset, kind of the shift in consciousness and also kind of enabling social technologies that allow us to, to shift kind of an 
a group or a stakeholder group from ecosystem awareness to ecosystem awareness is really at the center of uh, many developmental challenges that we face on different levels of scale. Right. Because what you're saying is really very interesting because you, you started with a very fundamental uh, statement. You say uh, the main uh, problem of capitalism is exter externalities. And this... Uh, Uh, externalities are, uh, we can talk about the social problem, we can about the ecological problem and also the spiritual problem of, as, as a form of externalization. Because what you are saying right now makes uh, the point that you uh, are getting and bringing in that the answer is in consciousness very concrete and very practical. Because when, when people say we have to change consciousness, easily you can say, okay, people have to meditate or something like this, which may be a good idea But what you're bringing in here with this kind of uh, 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 company worker council model is a very practical way of bringing externalized consciousness, so to say the other side, may it be the, the yeah. company owner side or the employee side, together in one dialogical field to internalize uh, basically things that were sourced out. And what you were describing, this only makes sense If I change my mindset, doesn't mean anything else that, that I have to do it myself. We have to create structures of trust and understanding and uh, also being able to hold more parts of the picture, being more conscious than just of my side of the story. And this, in this very practical uh, example that you were bringing from Mercedes-Benz, uh, from Daimler, uh, is something that as I understand you, holds a lot of potential in many different fields, how we organize society and how we organize economy. Is this basically what you're focusing on? Yeah, I think that is one example, but also, as I said yesterday in the discussion, so uh, that's just one stakeholder group, the workers, right? It's mm -hmm. one step, right? One tiny step in the right direction. But, you know, um, what's the the key challenge in this century, right, is sustainability, right? Mm -hmm. And what do we have there, kind of? Uh, we have the Dieselgate, the diesel scandal, right? The shocking mm -hmm. diesel scandal. Volkswagen being at the, uh, at the front line of that, they have co-determination too, right? Mm -hmm. And it didn't help at all, right, with, the, um, with them being ignorant against the sustainability and cynical against the sustainability challenge, right? Mm -hmm. Basically, um, Uh, presenting themselves as something which they are not, which is kind of pioneers really to, uh, to a more, to sustain, for sustainable mobility and uh, cheating not only against kind of regulatory uh, authorities, but also uh, in particular against the, their own uh, customers. So that's, what does that mean in terms of governance? It means there is a lack of awareness of another stakeholder group, which is the future. It's young people, it's nature, the voice of mother nature and the voice of future generation, those that aren't born yet. So how is that reflected in our governance system? Mm -hmm. So that would be kind of another example where, uh, so, so I'm not saying that the German model of co-determination, that's the solution to all the problems. All I'm saying is that's an interesting way how capitalism has evolved at least into one other stakeholder group. But then there are many other stakeholder groups that have little voice or no voice today in the governance system. And that's what we need. To, um, that's kind of the next frontier of um, uh, evolution and change. But when you move into this direction, 
you know, uh, the only way to do, to make these more complex coordination and leadership and, and, um, and, and management processes work is by really opening the mind and opening the heart. And that's kind of what the essence of, uh, of the U process is about. And that's why this, now you can call it consciousness or that the first time I really stumbled into that was mm -hmm. when I talked to a um, longtime CEO here in the U.S. His name is um, um, Bill O'Brien. And uh, he went through many transform uh, episodes of transform uh, transformational change. Mm -hmm. And when I asked him after he shared his story, what's the most important learning experience for him? Like as a CEO, as an individual, mm -hmm. uh, throughout all these stories, here's what, what he said. He said, the success of an intervention depends on the interior condition of the intervener. Mm -hmm. So the success of what I do as a leader, as a change maker, depends on the inner place that I'm operating from. Mm -hmm. And when he said that, I, I realized that we know everything about what leaders do. We, we know everything about how they operate, the process that they use, but what Bill O'Brien was talking about was a third dimension, which is the sources, mm -hmm. not the what, not the how, but the source from which we operate. And that has everything to do with the sources of our attention and our intention, kind of mm -hmm. where, you know, when we act and where we, when we attend to a situation where that attention is originating from. And that's kind of to become more aware of that and to be, really uh, be more literate uh, in, in uh, these different places that we can operate from, that I think is, um, you know, it's a key aspect of all advanced management and leadership training today. And, um, you know, it requires a new te social technologies. And when I say new social technologies, I really mean awareness-based social technologies, kind of ways, practices that help us, you know, in the, uh, you mentioned mindfulness and meditation. I think we have seen uh, a wonderful progress how mindfulness and meditation is used for the cultivation of the individual. But what we use, will use and need for the rest of the century is how the power of mindfulness and meditation can be also applied to the transformation of the collective. Mm -hmm. let, me, let me connect this also with... Uh, what you said about the different voices that we have to, have to bring to the table and how this relates to these deeper structures of our consciousness. Because uh, as I understand what you're saying, uh, this form of mindfulness, uh, this form of awareness uh, seems to be also uh, one way how to bring the voice of the future and the voice of the nature uh, into the conversation. Because um, when you brought this up, uh, it was... It was very interesting listening to it because, of course, in some way it's easy. Uh, if it, of course, it's not easy to bring the, the workers in the company uh, to, to be part of the conversation, to bring them yeah. to the table. But how do you do, bring the future and how do you bring nature to this? So it seems you're talking about uh, social technology or uh, consciousness technology that allows to bring those voices to the decision process. Is this what you're talking? Uh, it's exactly what I'm talking about. And I must admit now, uh, listening to you saying that, it sounds a little weird, right? It sounds a little, strange, a little bit strange. But in reality, it's actually quite doable. And mm -hmm. um, 
and, and but it requires, as I said, kind of new methods and tools. And, and we so one of the tools we have uh, developed that we are already using in many uh, ap applications is called social presencing theater, and mm -hmm. it's a blend between. Uh, mindfulness, social science, uh, like a little bit constellation work, uh, if, if some of your listeners are, are familiar mm -hmm. with that. And, uh, but more done like with a social science orientation, which is more transparent and with more clear questions and, you know, um, data gathering. So, uh, here's how it works. You basically, so one of the uh, practices that we developed in, in, in this realm, kind of in this discipline, social presencing theater, which is really a new social, it's a blend between social science and social art form, mm -hmm. is that um, you do a mapping uh, for the entire stakeholder system. So that would be the workers, the frontline people, you know, all the different voices, right? Because in any kind of business today, you not only have the internal, the workers, employees, kind of the board members, blah, blah, blah. You also have external stakeholders, right? The, the customers, competitors, and, and, you know. But then, so when we do um, the, the entire ecosystem mapping, there is from, because kind of we operate from the framework of the three divides that I mentioned at the outset, ecological divide, social divide, spiritual divide. Mm -hmm. That means we require that you always bring in the voice from the other side. Ecological divide means you need to bring in the voice of nature. So there's one role called mother nature, right? Mm -hmm. Social divide is, means uh, you, you need to bring in the voice of the most marginalized stakeholders, those who have no voice at the table, right? Kind of, mm -hmm. So you identify some of those. And then, the spiritual divide really often is represented as kind of uh, the, uh, the the unborn or the the, the few so so the uh, the children born or not born. Sometimes I remember in Indonesia we had like the founding spirit of the constitution because there was mm -hmm. a very spiritual uh, bent panchasila, right? So very uh, spiritual bent to that. So something that you know it, it varies from context to context, but that's how we do that. So we do the mapping. We bring in these voices that are usually excluded, and then you go through a mapping where you first embody current reality, and everyone kind of is expressing the experience of the current reality and attending to that. And then this whole kind of social sculpture is moving from current reality next, uh, into some emerging future. You try to sense into the uh, more dynamic, the living forces of the field and to co-evolve with them. And then you debrief kind of the emerging future state. Mm -hmm. So it sounds a little um, weird, but what it does is it makes the system sense and see itself. Mm -hmm. And that is in my, so when you ask, so, so in a way, kind of when I work with companies with larger systems and so on, what is it that I am paid for? Mm -hmm. So what is the added value that I bring? And I can tell you what my view of that is. It's, I am paid for making the system see itself, mm -hmm. right? So that's, that is the essence of systems thinking. And the essence of consciousness-based or awareness-based systems thinking is going even one step further by making the system sense and see itself. Because if the system only sees itself, it's stuck in the head, right? We still have the knowing-doing gap. 
Mm-hmm. In order, so I need to feel the pain of the others. I need to feel the pain of Mother Nature, the pain of the marginalized. Mm-hmm. And only then, kind of um, as a group, we can unlock the deeper sources of our uh, and, and, and reservoirs of our potential, uh, of our um, collective creativity. Mm-hmm. So it's, so that's an example. And, you know, uh, so when you said like uh, voice of nature and so on, it sounds weird, right? But when you do it, it is actually quite doable and the impact is quite profound mm-hmm. because this making the system sensitive itself, the moment you do that in a system, the consciousness is shifted mm-hmm. because um, it's when you really felt the pain of the others, the conversation is no longer the same. Kind of, you have established like a shared body of feeling and sensing, but also of thinking together that going forward allows the same group to have a very different conversation and ways of working together. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for that. We, we unfortunately are already over time. And um, you, you said in the beginning of our conversation, uh, in the system thinking, it's really important to come to the deeper layers of what the system is about. And uh, I had the question, so how do these deeper layers really relate to consciousness and spirituality? Because they very easy get a little kind of woo-woo around it. But the way you're describing this, also with very practical hands-out decision processes in companies and other uh, organizations, uh, really show, I think, how consciousness, how sensing is something that can be part of the social structure of having a dialogue, how we create a civilization and how we create the future. So I think... Uh, the, the opposite, or it does not sound weird at all. It sounds that things that may be a little uh, a k- kind of, you don't know really what, how consciousness change, what, what it means or how it is sensing what this means, but the process that processes that you seem to uh, bring into this very practical situations are processes that really change the way how people make very practical decisions about the outcomes of companies. And I think this is a connection of a very hard uh, economic life and maybe uh, more deeper layers of our human consciousness that is maybe part of the roots, what our uh, global crisis is about in this way. I thank you very much for this conversation. Thank you very much, Thomas. And also thank you for the summary. Thank you.